welcome to Dear Percival, the scintillating podcast concerning Danny Savarino, one of the myriad characters created by author and poet extraordinaire Mr. DJ Swales for his new novel, People of Bloomsbury, available on Amazon right now, right now, go and buy one, go and buy one. This is part three of Elguna, part three of Elguna. Oh, I hope you enjoy it. Shall we see, shall we see what's going on, shall we? Let's go, let's go. Now, for the unusual vegetable update. Let's just say that the grocery store in Elguna traumatised me. I was triggered, utterly unprepared for the sheer size of Egyptian produce. Even the Brussels sprouts were nothing less than lethal weapons if dropped from the approximate height of a two-storey roof deck. Apparently, the endless sunshine here, combined with the River Nile's constant silty water, combined to make super-sized frankenfood. I also read, though no one talks about it, how the Egyptians also plundered millions of animal mummies from ancient tombs, grinding them up to use as fertilizer for centuries. They even exported tons of the stuff to Liverpool, from where it was scattered across half the fields of northern England. That's why so many prized turnips have been grown outside Eccles. None of this is natural, I said to the greengrocer, suspecting there to be ancient mummies, curses and spells at work. Define natural, said the man like a challenge. A huge fan of the soap opera EastEnders, he spoke perfect Cockney English like Dirty Den, one of the show's more infamous former characters. He asked, you prefer chemical fertiliser and piddly little carrots no bigger than children's fingers? Seasons get thrown out of the window here where the size of the cabbage or marrow is only dictated by the time the farmer allows it to grow. It's quite scary. I saw spring onions bigger than leeks and eye-watering cucumbers. The greengrocer leaned in, telling me how rumoured places in Upper Egypt where people hollow out Nile cabbages and actually live in them. You're fibbing, I said. To which he looked deadly serious and responded, Do I look like I would lie to tourists about things like this? His kindly wife smiled to herself as he spoke. So I knew they were an honest and kindly couple. Before I left their shop, I reminded them that I was the English guy looking for his missing parents. I'm quite a celebrity here as I made it into the El Guna Residence Newsletter, a weekly publication of some note along the mainland Red Sea coast, though banned from Sham El Sheikh, which tries to claim a monopoly on inbound overseas beach tourists. Oh, you're the one, said the greengrocer. Yes, the police were almost called when your mother started limbo dancing on the dockside. This is Egypt, not Brighton. What do you know of Brighton? I asked the grocer, whose wife looked mortified as he pulled down the shop blinds. What do you know about limbo? asked the man. I'm guessing not very much if that familial display was anything to go by. Mum's great at limbo, I replied defensively. She's been on courses. That's as well maybe, said the man. But when a crowd gathered, things got out of hand. This is not the way of Elguna. We like our mini-police state here. That's why we have lots of fences. No chaos. When I asked him what happened next, he said, By the time the police arrived to disperse the crowd, who were openly limboing in breach of Egyptian decency laws, she had set up a little desk 
to teach free English lessons. She looked so innocent while your father solicited donations. Hmm, that does sound like them. Very resourceful, I said. Then why did their yacht look so leaky? He asked. Procrastination, I replied. Unconvinced, he asked. Procrastination at sea. There is nothing deadlier. Looking for further clues, I asked the greengrocer what lessons my mum had been teaching specifically. (laughs) Whatever they were, it was pointless, said his wife, laughing like a character from My Fair Lady. Elguna is where all the rich Kyrenes have their weekend homes. They can all speak several languages and are sticklers for correct grammar. She did seem to harp on about the difference between there, there and there, her husband interjected. What else did she say? I asked, intrigued, adding, Oh, and I'll take another kilo of dome fruit, please. I have become quite partial to them already, like a mix of ginger and brown sugar. She made a huge issue out of the fact that most people say vice versa instead of the correct vice versa, the greengrocer then replied. But the correct term is vice versa, said his wife, who seemed to be anxious to close up shop. Eureka, I said, not commenting on his wife's ignorance. I bet it's her. She tested everyone, said the man, asking his antsy wife to be patient before explaining how mum had set up a small roadblock to interrogate passers-by. The sophisticated Cairo crowd were all caught out, bleating vice versa with false confidence. His wife looked so confused I decided to leave. Even I started to question which was the correct version. Percival, I have shared more details about my parents with you than any living thing. It has to be my parents. Incorrect metaphors and language keep mum up at night, second only to being served lacklustre lemon drizzle cake. You know, the kind lacking any zest and zing. Today was so encouraging, I will continue my search again tomorrow after an early morning snorkelling trip and before a sunset all-you-can-eat buffet at a domed mini-palace called Nubia House, which like everywhere in Egypt, has an attached carpet shop offering incredibly competitive discounts. Elguna really is a lovely place, like some Disney set of arabesque and Nubian architecture built around beachside promenades and Venetian canals. And if you need something tacky, the resort town of Hagada is always down the road. Apparently the mother of Egypt's richest man threw some hot coals at a map of the Red Sea and fate decreed that El Guna would be built wherever the paper ignited. The oldest Christian monasteries in the world are nearby in the eastern desert, formed after invading Bedouin attacks forced the hermits from their caves. Women are allowed to visit them now, so I've added St. Anthony's and the Monastery of Tigers to the list of places to check. Mum can be very pious when she wants to be. Dad even refers to her as a living martyr. Also close by, in the mountains, is the actual quarry where the Romans chiselled out the giant columns for the Pantheon in Rome. A cracked column still lies abandoned, as if the slaves put down tools yesterday. As Dad is Italian, and forever boasting about Rome's accomplishments, it's quite likely he will want to visit. Perhaps they've hidden their yacht somewhere to do some exploring. 
The day after tomorrow, I have an all-day ATV safari tour of the local mountains. A substantial lunch will be provided, so after that, I'll refocus my search. If enough donations come in, I might buy a little drone and scour the coastline. Good night, Percival. I do hope I have a restful night here in the adult-only hotel Doar El Omda. The aircon is down, so I shall have to risk sleeping with my door ajar. If I do have a visitor or two, I still have a tray of crudités that I prepared this afternoon, centred around an enormous cauliflower and a courgette that could have spit open an elephant. Oh, the phone just rang yet again. More factors have arrived. Oh, please wish me luck. Danny Savarino, Red Sea Coast. Thank you, thank you. This has been Kevin Green reading Dear Percival, El Guna Part 3. Dear Percival is part of the fantastic new novel, People of Bloomsbury, by poet, author, all-round good egg, Mr. DJ Swales. Available now, well, DJ Swales isn't, the People of Bloomsbury book is available on Amazon right now as an ebook. so go and purchase it right, right now. Otherwise, there'll be trouble. I'll shove a bat up your dress or something. We shall be back with um, another Dear Percival very, very soon. But in the meantime, thank you for listening. See you soon. Goodbye.